I think if anyone ever wants to convince you of something, Katrina, all they have to do is write a book, right? And you'll read it because that's why you were in Bali. That's why you went to uh, Provence, right? So just write a book. She'll come visit you. (laughs) The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 294. With a whopping 734 bookstores inside the city limits, that's about 25 bookstores per 100,000 people. Buenos Aires has the most bookstores per capita of any city in the world. I guess that's what happens when you don't have Amazon. Whether you are getting an apartment in Buenos Aires, hanging out in Provence, or eat, pray, loving your way around Italy and Bali, or doing all four of those things, like today's guest, it doesn't matter. You are going to need some good, high-quality luggage to take with you. And if you're looking for the best travel backpack, the one that I take with me all over the world, yes, even when I'm eat, pray, loving in Bali and Italy, that is my Tortuga Outbreaker backpack. You can check out everything that they have going on. They've got some new stuff coming out as well. You can check that out at tortugabackpacks.com. And don't forget, no matter what you get over at tortugabackpacks.com, you can use a promo code EPOP, that's E-P-O-P, all capital letters, and that will get you 10% off your entire order. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who went to a top 20 business school, saved up $40,000 in 18 months, took a 20-month break where she ate her way through 12 countries, and then, probably most impressively, transitioned back into the regular world successfully. Katrina McGee, whose website kmcgeecoaching.com helps others create richer, happier lives. Katrina, thanks for joining me today and welcome. Thank you, Travis. I'm so excited to be with you today. I'm really excited too because we're going to dive into some pretty cool stuff. So if you guys are listening, we're going to talk about how and why you, Katrina, decided to take a career break and some of the ways that others can know if it's right for them, the quote-unquote maybe warning signs that a career break is necessary. We're also going to dive into the logistics of a break, how to save, plan, convince others it's okay and that you're not crazy. And then, of course, as we mentioned at the top here, how to successfully transition back to life after a break because that is probably the part that's harder than even making the decision to take one. And since it's the Extra Pack of Peanuts travel podcast, of course, we're going to talk travel experiences, tips, and mishaps. Katrina, one of the big parts of your life's journey is this 20-month career break that you took, and and you we're going to dive into all those details and stuff like that. But first, I want you to take us like way, 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 way back, or not not too far, not too <laughs> way back. I'm not, not calling you old. That's not my <laughs> intention here. But a lot has happened in your life. The desire to travel, take a break, see the world, was this something that as a kid was ingrained in you or was this desire to travel, did it, did it come later? When was that moment where you thought, hey, this is going to be a substantial part of my life? Yeah, that's such a great question, Travis. No one's asked me that before. So the answer is 
um, as a kid, I grew up in rural West Virginia and always felt like, you know, we didn't really go very far. We couldn't get there sort of, you know, within four or five hours via car. We just never did it. Like I, the first time I was on a plane, I think I was 17 years old. So I think I'd always had this desire to go places. But to me, places could be like California. You know what I mean? I think the idea of this huge international travel was like a slow build. But when I read, as cheesy as it sounds, when I read Eat, Pray, Love, I was like, whatever she did connected with me. And I was like, I'm going to do that. But it was like crazy, right? Because it's kind of like this huge, I was a corporate person working a corporate job. I was actually in business school getting my MBA when I read that book. And I was like, the most insane thing I could do right now is drop out of business school with all this debt and then just go get some more debt to travel around the world. But I think that was the moment where it planted the seed that was really going to grow. And I was going to make it happen someday. So. How many people did Elizabeth Gilbert get to drop out of business school? That is the question, right? That is um, a great question. I, I, it'd be sweet if she could add it all up. She could put that right at the front of the book, like <laughs> helping hundreds of thousands of people drop out of business school and travel the world. Um, I, I get what you're saying. It, it is interesting that travel is relative, especially as a as a child and as a kid, and everyone has their own situations growing up. And I know for myself growing up, I you know I traveled down to Florida a lot because that's where my grandparents lived. So that was traveling to me and it, it is traveling but my buddy my best friend his parents took him to like Italy and you know all over the world and to me that was I don't know I don't want to say that I didn't want to do it but it wasn't even kind of in my sphere I wasn't even thinking like that as a kid because it didn't seem like it was feasible yeah it was like outside of your consideration set yeah totally yeah, it certainly was. And now, I mean, it's funny to say now, right? Because you've been around the world, I've been around the world, and it, nothing really seemed outside of our consideration set at this point. But as a kid, it does. And I, I like that you pinpointed that and you said, like, to you, maybe traveling from West Virginia to California was the biggest thing you could think of. And I think that's important for people to realize, whether they've traveled a lot or not, that it doesn't... I guess what I'm saying is it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be the most exotic place. It's kind of where you want to go or where you feel comfortable going. Absolutely. Yes, I totally 100% believe that. So you were in business school. You read, eat, pray, love. <laughs> you think, all right, I, I'm going to go to Bali at some point. And I always love going to Bali because, and this is uh, this is going to sound funny, but I always go there and I say, like, I, you know, you see... Uh, women there. Of course, you have like all the Aussie bros and people there on their spring break and all that craziness. And then you do see a huge subset of females there. And you're like, I bet one of the reasons they came here was yeah. eat, pray, love, right? <laughs> like, I mean, why are there more here than any other Southeast Asian country or Southeast Asian area? And I think it's because of eat, pray, love. So you didn't hop on a plane to Bali right away, but it was in your head, right? I did not. Yeah, yeah, it was in my head. I think Bali was like, Bali seemed kind of like on my radar. Obviously, like Italy's a place I'd been dying to go anyway. Um, but yeah, I definitely I had no idea like what Bali really was other than like a big resort place you go on a honeymoon or something. So <laughs> after I read that book, I was like, Oh, maybe I maybe I should stop by. Bali is is interesting to me. And the show will not be all about Bali guys. But I always find it interesting because it's it's so exotic to people from the U.S. or the, or this hemisphere, this part of the world. 
And when you get down there and you see a bunch of Australian kids and Kiwi kids and stuff like that there, and they're just, you know, it is their spring break or they're there for a week partying and things like that. And I'm like, wow, it really is like Cancun is for people in the U.S. But it's so exotic to us because it's Cancun on the other side of the world. So I've always found that fascinating. I don't know if you found that same thing, but I always found that fascinating. Yeah, for sure. All right, so you're in business school. Do this, do this, do this, right? You know, you're going through all the um, all the steps, and then you get a corporate job. You know, you can fill in the blanks here, but you're sitting in this corporate job. Like, when did all that stop adding up for you to be this, this, this? Okay, now I'm here. What's the next step? Like, when did you start deviating or thinking about deviating from the path that you had planned? Okay, so the honest answer is probably at the age of 23. I mean, it goes way, way back. Um, I started as an actuary, which is a really intense job. And you have to like love mathematics to be good at that job. And I liked mathematics, but I also was a little bit more extroverted than your typical actuary. And so for me, I think I always felt like this isn't where I belong. But when you're 23, you know, like you hope you have many, many years ahead of you. And so I never really felt pressured to immediately leave and find that thing. But I always kind of knew like, I can't stay here because this isn't who I am. And then I think it gets easier to stay because you got the golden handcuffs of the corporate job. And so I think all along I was, my doubt was kind of snowballing as opposed to like one particular moment. It just kept getting bigger and bigger and going to MBA for me was doing something really crazy because I like ran away from that safe actuarial job and took two years off to go full time. But it was still like playing it safe in that, oh, if I go get my MBA, I'll have all these opportunities. I can change my job safely and I won't like risk my salary and my benefits. And then when I left my my business school and started a really, really corporate job, I just knew like when I was there, I think I think it was like three or four months in and I was like crying sometimes in my car on the way home, just like exhausted and like, what, what am I doing with my life? You know, I was like, this isn't good. This is not good. And I think it was about eight months in where I just, felt like something was breaking inside of me. And I was scared that if I didn't leave soon, I was going to be looking at my life at age 60 and being like, how the hell did 30 years pass and I never made a change? So you went from a really corporate job of an actuary to business school, which again, like you said, was a deviation, but in your mind, a safe deviation because it meant that you were going to get back on a path. And that path was then a really, really, really corporate job, right? So you're just adding reallys in front of corporate at that point. And, um, and then you have, you know, these succession of moments of, all right, I'm not liking this. I'm not liking this. I'm not liking this. I'm eight months in and, you know, the pay is great and, and all that looks good from the outside, but inside I'm scared that, if I don't make a change, I'm going to be here. Talk us through that then. So you say, all right, I'm going to make a change. But a lot of people get to that point. A lot of people are saying, yeah, I, I want to do something. And then for whatever reason, they don't. Friends, family, fear, I guess the three Fs. I don't know. Can we call it that? What What got you over that hump? Like, How did you say, I'm going to make a change and then make that change? Yeah. So the, the, the answer is a life coach. So I didn't really, I knew what a life coach was. Um, I didn't know how you went about finding one. And if you found one, how do you know that you found a good one? But I was sitting there desperately, like sad, depressed, kind of like what is happening. And there was somebody that sat across the aisle from me in my cubicle. And she was a contractor kind of in and out. And one day we were just having a really honest conversation. And I was explaining to her this feeling of like, I feel like I'm meant for so much more than this, but I don't know how to find it. And I don't even know what it is. And she said, 
have you ever thought about checking out a life coach? Um, I have a friend who is a great life coach. I've never used her. So she's like, I'm not telling you that she's amazing, but I hear that she's really amazing. And that was it. Like it was the one thing I needed. Um, it was like that string, you know, like if I just grab onto the string or that rope, someone's going to pull me in the right direction and I might have to paddle and I might have to do all these things, but somebody's going to help me find the light again. And so, um, I went home that night, looked at her website, set up a free like consultation call. And like, I was in, you know what I mean? Like I liked her vibe and I was like sold, but I think I needed somebody to help me help myself at that point. And how long from that time that you went home and you, and you contacted the coach to then actually like, what did the steps look like there to planning a break? Was it almost instantaneous where the life coach was like, oh yeah, you need a break. Like, let's start playing this out. Or did it take a while for you to figure out that that was going to be the thing that you were going to do? Holy cow. A lot of unpacking had to happen. So it was eight months, Travis. It was eight months. And it wasn't even that we built up to a career break. I went to her saying, I don't have a purpose. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what my passion is. Like, find it. Help me find it. I need it because I can only be happy and have like this great job if I find it. And so I think all of the programming of like, the only options to me were to find a different job, just hope that I liked it better. Like a career break was really not even in, because it was too crazy. It wasn't in my consideration set. And it was like eight months of working, showing up, unpacking like all of these limiting beliefs and working through like my feelings about money and being afraid that it, you know, wasn't going to be there or that leaving a job that paid well meant that I was going to fail at life forever. And it was like, I was sitting on her couch eight months in and we were talking about something else. And I just had this huge epiphany and it was like a voice was like right there in my head and was like, it just like whispered to me, you don't want another effing job. You just need a break. And I was like, what, what, you know? And it was like, and then it was like, what kind of break? And in my mind, I was like three months. Nope. Six months. Nope. A year. And it was like, Oh my God, I'm going to take a year off. And it was crazy. And it was scary. But like, there was a moment where it was like clear to me that that was what was going to happen. What was the feedback from, from the friends, family, coworkers, boss, when, cause it's one thing to have an epiphany yourself. And, and that's always an important first step, right? To realize what you actually want internally, what it is that's going to help you. But then you have to start dealing with all the other people. And, and hopefully people are strong enough to say like, no, this is me. I know this is what I want. But a lot of times the doubt starts creeping in when other people start saying, well, oh, that sounds cool. But really, you know, like they're and even if they're not doing it on purpose and even if they want to have your best interests in mind, there's a lot of stuff coming from the outside and, and those outside factors. What was it for you? Yeah. So I would say, generally speaking, people were so much more supportive than I ever expected them to be. And I think it was because I was living a lot of people's dream, right? Like, I think for some people, it was like, that just immediate excitement of like, you're going to do what? But then it was like, that's badass. Like, please go do that. So I can believe that it's possible. I think that to your point, sometimes people have doubts and concerns, and they don't even realize that they're sharing them with you in a way to try to dampen sort of your excitement. But um, for me, it was like, it was such a truth, Travis, it was such a truth that I was supposed to do this, that when they told me it was almost like I felt compassion for them, where it was like, I get why that's scary for you, but you don't know about me. Like this is happening. And so for me, it was like that knowing of like, I got to do this. But but I honestly was met mostly with like genuine excitement and support from people that were really excited for me. 
And I love hearing that because surrounding yourself with certain people, and, and I'm in a bit of a bubble sometimes to the people I'm surrounding myself with and, and the work that we do and helping people become location independent and travel because most of them are excited to do it. They, they kind of inherently get it because they want to do the same thing. But I'm excited to hear that a lot of people, and this, again, it's going to sound weird, but in the real world, we're also very excited for you. And I think that to your point, it's because a lot of them feel the same way as you, right? Maybe they do feel trapped and maybe they're not ever going to take the break or maybe they see you doing it and you become that light to them. And that that's awesome to hear that they were excited because they might be scared to do it and they want to know it's possible. And they're like, yeah, let, let Katrina go be yeah. the guinea pig, right? <laughs> if she succeeds, yeah. then maybe I can start thinking about doing it. Did that, did that happen at all? And we're running ahead of your, in your story here, but did that happen where you became a bit of a role model maybe to some other people. Yeah, I would say on a, I, I believe so. And I think that for a lot of people um, that knew me, like I became a resource, right? So I don't, I don't know of anyone that um, took the same kind of career break that I did, but I've had people reach out to me, like even years later, right? Cause I, I started this break in 2013, reach out to me even just like two months ago and say like, they're quitting a job and they're moving to a place that they've never lived before. And they're like, I've been following your story, you know, um, and, and seeing like all of your posts and stuff over the years. And like, it's really made me feel like more is possible. And so, um, I feel like in many ways it's inspired people to do big things. I don't think, I don't know of anyone that it's inspired to take again, like a career break the way that I did. But I think that idea of like, you can make a really big change that feels crazy and life can be okay. In fact, it can be so much better than okay. Yeah. And a lot of times the ripple effect you know, you don't even see it, right? Like maybe someone's following your site or your journey or your story through a friend of a friend and maybe they do something and it never ends up getting back to you, right? And that's totally fine because you're not doing it necessarily for that adulation or praise or anything like that. You're doing it for you and that's the number one goal. When you were doing it, like when you were planning it, so you had that that epiphany, right? And you said it took eight months to get to that that point where you're going to take a career break. What did it look like then getting ready to take the break? Because you didn't, I you didn't just say, all right, I had this epiphany, booking my ticket, I'm on the next flight, see you later. It was a little bit more, there was a little bit more to it than that. Yeah. So Travis, I'm a planner, right? Like I didn't get to be <laughs> You're an, an actuary. actuary yeah, right. Oh, right. Exactly. I only no, know two I, actuaries I, now, you and my other friend, and you're very, very meticulous and logical. Neither of you are actuaries uh, at this point now, but still. Yeah, but still it's in there. So yeah, so I had a spreadsheet and I... Like I wanted a plan. I wanted to know if I'm doing this, I wanted to take the trip of my dreams. I want to go be a, become a certified yoga instructor in Bali. And I want to go live in Argentina for a month. Like I want to do all the things. So what is that really going to cost me? And when I did the math, I was like, dang, that's like $40,000, right? I think 38,000 was my exact number. And I had $1,500 in my bank account. So there was a shortage there, right? And <laughs> you had so a ways to go. I had a ways to go. So I used my like actuarial prowess and just made this budget spreadsheet. And I was never somebody to like be on a budget. I was a pretty good spender um, and saver. Like I, I always kept myself in balance and I didn't live above my means, but I also wasn't really 
directing my savings towards a purpose. And so it was just disappearing. And this was like when I took the reins back and I became so much more intentional about my goal and also like where my money was going. And I just started tracking everything I was spending. It took me 18 months, but after 18 months, I had $40,000 in my bank account and I was like, good to go. What were some of the biggest sacrifices you had to make during that period? Because I think it's really an interesting point and I want to just hit that really quickly that you were saying like, I wasn't living above my means, but I had $1,500 in my bank account because there was no bigger purpose. There wasn't, I'm going to take this trip. I'm going to, you know, save for this or buy this house or retire at 40. And so I have to hit these numbers, even for someone as, as methodical and, and logical as you, because there wasn't a purpose, you didn't have, you know, anything that you were shooting for. And once you did, all of a sudden it was like instantly, let's go. And so I just want, I, I think that's a really powerful message that when people find that purpose, whatever it is and whatever the number is for them, that really allows you to like hem in everything you're doing. And even when you make these sacrifices, it's not, it doesn't necessarily feel like it because you're working towards a bigger goal. Yes. And that's what I, that's what I like tell people all the time is that it's really about prioritizing and it's not about restricting. Right. So yes, I, I got a roommate. I mean, I was a grown ass woman, like 30, I think 32 years old. And I was like, all right, I guess got to change. So I got a roommate, you know, we lived in a, still a fancy apartment. Like it was still a nice place, but I'm splitting the bills now. And, you know, I was just so much more um, thoughtful about all of the things I was doing because I was unhappy that weren't really serving me. So that 3 PM Starbucks, um, you know, latte with all the extra toppings, like that was really about desperately wanting to get out of my cube and just go walk around. Right. right? right and just right. like get the hell away. And it's like, well, dang, you know, like, is this really worth, like, is this really worth working for an extra, you know, day or a couple hours when I really want to quit my job? And the answer was almost always no. And I still did stuff. I still did lots of stuff, but I was so thoughtful about the things I chose to do. And I chose my big goal over many of the other things that really weren't serving me that I had just sort of accumulated all of these habits because I was living a life that wasn't very fulfilling. So I was trying to buy some stuff, you know, to like make my life more interesting. And it also makes it more fulfilling in the present when you know you've, quote unquote, given it up. Like then when you go and get that Starbucks latte once every two weeks, you sit and enjoy it, right? And you say, all right, this is this is nice instead of, all right, this is every day. And I'm just, you know, you, you just do it mindlessly and it's not even fun, that much fun or that important. But then it, it becomes like you can do those things in a mini way, right? Like every two weeks, I'm going to get it. So I look forward to it because I know I'm working towards the big picture goal, but it doesn't have to be where you cut everything out and everything goes towards that big picture goal. And you're waiting 18 months to get any sort of reward. You can do it in small ways, just like you said, cut, cut it out here and there and then enjoy it more when you're actually doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one myth I think a lot of people have about saving money is that it's going to suck and life is going to be like even worse. And it's like, it can actually be fun. Like it can actually, you know what I mean? Because everything that you're doing that you're not really engaged with all of a sudden, it's all a choice that you're making. And so to your point, when you choose that thing, whether it's that, you know, that coffee, or even if it's something special that you want to reward yourself with, it's like so special to you. It is like very intentional. There's so much energy and love around it and you do it. And it like feels so much, you're just so much more aware of it and all of the awesome that comes with it versus sort of being a robot, doing all of the things and trying to find fulfillment through buying more stuff. 
I'm with you. It it really is less is more. And that's why everyone should travel with just a carry-on backpack. I'm not going to go on that rant right now. But <laughs> um, few good pieces of clothing, few good travel items. You don't need everything, guys. Um, it, it really is. I think that's great advice for people as you're going. So you, you hit 40,000 and you said, this is going to be my number. What about prepping... And, and you said people were supportive, but what about prepping like your boss or family members or people who are going to be impacted by you deciding to take this break? Did they know that you were working towards 40,000 and were you like giving them daily updates like, all right, I'm here. We got a 33.3 days left until I think I'm going to hit it. How did that work out? Yeah. So once you have a truth and you are super excited about it, for me personally, it's so hard to hold it, right? Like I just wanted to share it with everyone. So pretty much everyone, it's like, again, like a snowball effect where you tell like one person and it's scary and then you tell two people and then you start telling people and then you can't shut up and you can't stop telling people like, oh my God, you're not going to believe what I'm doing. I gave eight months notice at my job. Like I was so excited at that point. It was like, I was so excited and I was so tired. I didn't I felt like I could show up as the best me if I was honest and basically like I could put the most amount of intention into what I was doing if I felt free. And to me, freedom felt like don't make me do my five-year plan. Don't make me talk about where I'm going to rotate in 12 months because I know that I'm not going to be here. So not having to do all the fakeness and pretend something completely different made me feel very free. And and because of that, I was like, you know what? I'm going to throw caution to the wind. I'm going to tell my boss listen, in eight months, I'm taking a break. And, and he was really supportive. He was sad to see me go, but he was like, okay, well, you know, one or two months, when we get to the one or two month mark, I need you to check in and give me an exact date. And I was like, okay, deal. So yeah. That is so freeing for, for him and the company and you, because they know you're going to be out of there. So they don't have to scramble. And also I think, as you mentioned, it allows you to do some things that might even be more beneficial to them because you are thinking with a shorter mindset and you're not worrying about all this stuff and you're able to be present in that moment. All right, how do we move this project, this project, this project along before I do get out of here? Yeah, absolutely. So you're, all right, so you go on this break and I'm going to read from your about page here because you said, I took a three-month road trip through the US, spent four months hanging out with friends, family and friends, enjoyed eight months traveling the world and five months recovering from it all and seeing what came next. And when I first read that, that last bit kind of shocked me, right? Because I'm like, all right, she took this this career break and then she spent five months recovering from it all and seeing what came next. And I thought, that's really interesting. I know for me, I would have probably tried to jam you know, if it was like 20 months, it was like day one, I'm getting on a plane and I'm going here. And then day, whatever it is, 20 months later, you know, 450, I'm flying home and I'm probably like going to work the next day or whatever it was. Were each of these parts of the break intentional? Like, was this very planned out or was this a, hey, this feels right at the time. Now I'm going to come see family and friends. I'm going to take these five months off. How much planning of the actual break was there and how much was it spontaneous? Yeah, it was totally planned. Um, I was I, sitting I, I at a figured birthday. after yeah. we started talking for like the last 20 minutes, I'm like, she's going to say it was planned exactly out to the day. So. <laughs> yes! <laughs> right. Almost, almost. Yeah, no, it was, I was sitting in a, at a birthday party at a restaurant in Vegas. And I remember like this idea of a career break had just firmed up and I knew it was going to be a year, but I had no idea all the things I was going to do. And it was like, I got lit up from the inside out. And I was just like, I know what it's going to be. And so for me, it was like, 
at the time I thought it would be 12 months. So I was kind of evenly dividing it um, through the 12 months, but it was like, I'm going to spend three months on a road trip. And that to me was the intention of like seeing a whole bunch of friends that I'd accumulated over many, many years because I've, I've lived different places. I've gone to school far away and then taken jobs far away from the place I went to school. And so my friends are scattered and I never really get to connect with them you know, because you get like your corporate two to three weeks of vacation each year. So that was really, <laughs> oh, you know, like, that was like, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to go see everybody. And I'm going to go see the Grand Canyon. And I'm going to drive up the California coast. So this was about checking off a lot of things for me, and also about reconnecting. And then I figured I'd spend a few months at home with my family. Um, because again, you know, your corporate two to three weeks doesn't really allow for you to just chill and see the ordinary moments you know, that you miss when you're like, when you're a kid, you get to just be ordinary with your family and your close friends. And you miss that, um, I think as an adult, a lot of times, if you live far away. And then I was like going abroad, but I actually- You had to go to Bali, right? You, I mean, it's like, Bali. you had to go to Bali. Yep. Had to check that off the list. Um, yeah. And I actually, in my very first plan, I, I wanted about three months to be at home because I'm a worrier and I'm a planner. And I knew that if I came back and expected myself to find a job in like three weeks, that would actually affect all of my trip, right? Because I would be chilling at a hostel in Thailand being like, what the f am I going to do with my life when I get back? I don't have a job. Like I should be working on my resume. And I just needed, I knew myself well enough to know I needed a container where I could, anytime that crept up where it was like, what am I going to do next when I like need money? I was like, I can put this into October, right? I'm going to set this away until October because I've set aside time to freak out and worry and, and create a plan. And so that was super intentional for me, just knowing how I operate. That is fantastic. It's, it's so opposite of the way I operate that I, I love it because I know I would freak out at certain points. And it'd probably be like a day or two where I was in Thailand sitting there in a beautiful beach hut worrying and not even enjoying my banana pancakes. But then I'd be like, ah, whatever. And then, you know, because I would just want to keep pushing, pushing, pushing. And I think that's so, so great to hear because there's so many different types of people. And that idea of putting that bucket at the end that allows you to enjoy the whole rest of it is... It's just fat. It's something I never would have thought of doing, but now I'm thinking, hey, maybe I can benefit from this a little bit, you know? Maybe I can change a bit as well. So these were intentional pieces that you put in there. And you mentioned one of the goals of, of being a certified yoga instructor. Were there other certain goals you wanted to accomplish with this break? Like what were some of those things that you either wanted to check off and see and or, you know, accomplish and get certified or do? Yeah. So definitely for me, I felt like the whole Western side of the U.S. was a place I'd never really spent a lot of time. So I had like a whole bucket list of things I wanted to see out there, like, for example, the Grand Canyon and, and traveling up the coast. Um, one of my dreams, and I have no idea where this one came from, but I've fantasized about living in Buenos Aires like as a local for like, just like getting an apartment. I don't even know why. I have no idea why, but it was there. It was so real. And so um, that was one of my things is like, if I'm going, I'm going to spend like a month there. Like I'm just going to live in one apartment and I'm going to go find a favorite coffee shop and I'm going to have a favorite bookstore and I'm going to take some Spanish classes and do all these things, but I'm just going to live there and I'm not going to, you know, try to be uber tourist that crams it all in. Um, so that was on my list. And then I had read a year in Provence. Um, and that book like just enchanted me. I'm obsessed with food. And so I knew I was definitely going there and I was just going to eat my face off. Um, I couldn't even, I couldn't even wait for that. 
Um, and then I studied abroad for a semester in Barcelona when I was getting my MBA and I fell so in love with the, um, with that city. And so I knew I wanted to go back and see it again. And then for me, um, East, like Southeast Asia was just this huge enigma. I'd never been to any part of Asia at that point. And obviously, you know, there's Bali, but it was like, it was like, wow, like I want to go, I want to go somewhere really crazy for me, like very culturally different and just see it. And so for me, like I showed up, that was the one part of my trip where I showed up without um, a huge plan. So a lot of the other pieces I kind of knew when I was like leaving the country or entering and like, this was like, I get there, but I have like four months almost. And it's like, I don't know when I'm going to Thailand. I don't know if I'm going to Vietnam. I don't, you know what I mean? I was just kind of figuring it out as I went along and it was really scary and awesome and freeing and very different than how I've ever traveled before. And that is the perfect place to have that open-ended type schedule because it's so easy to get around. It's cheap. Everywhere's awesome. So you did pick a great part of the world to have something that was a little more spontaneous and unplanned because, you know, as you said, you can you can get really into a place and say, yeah, I'm going to spend like three or four or five or eight more days on this beach in Thailand. And then someone says like, no, no, we got to go here. And you're like, yeah, sure, whatever. Let's go over there. It's 30 <laughs> bucks. It's 10 bucks. We're going to rent a boat. Who knows? You know, and you just go off and do it. So, um, yeah. All right. So you have all this planned out and, you, and you've got these like hot spots that you're going to hit. And I think if anyone ever wants to convince you of something, Katrina, all they have to do is write a book, right? And you'll read it because that's why you were in Bali. That's why you went to uh, Provence, right? So just write a book. She'll come visit you. Um, but you have these hot spots that you, that you want to hit and then you're going to come back um, and you're going to have this you know, recovery period of a certain amount of months. So originally you had it as 12 months. What made the break become... 20 months because like you said you're a planner so how did that like at what point in the break was it like no this is actually going to be more extended than than I originally thought yeah that's a great question so um it was actually when I was at home so I'd done the road trip and then I had gone home and I was sitting at home and I was looking at my bank account and this is the crazy awesome byproduct of spending 18 months being really good at managing my money I was so good at managing it. And I was like, I was just not overspending. And so when I looked at my bank account, I realized I had enough money to go for much longer. And I was like, well, I'm going to travel until I'm broke. So that's pretty much what I did. So I just, I got an extra eight months, you know, it was, it was really amazing. That is a good saver right there. When you can basically yeah. <laughs> double your travel based on your original, off your original budget. When you decided to take this break because I know a lot of people listening fall into the category where they want to take a break, but they want it to be, or they think of it as a permanent break. All right, I'm going to leave my job and I'm going to start traveling the world. And I don't know what's going to happen and I don't know where I'm going to be, but I don't want to come back to that. But it sounds like for you, you did look at it as a, as a break and you were going to come back and you probably weren't going to come back to your, like the exact life that you had before, but you were going to come back to, you know, what we could call, I guess, a, a normal lifestyle or a more normal lifestyle than bumping around the world and, and being a digital nomad and things like that. So was that always the plan for you? Was it always that it was going to be a break and then you were going to come back or, was that something in the back of your head where you thought, well, maybe I'll continue to do this forever. I just don't know. Yeah, it was totally the latter. So um, for me, I held out the secret hope that life was going to like all converge in front of me and I was going to have all of the answers, right? Like I had this secret dream that maybe while I'm on a beach in Thailand, like 
it will all become clear and I'll know what I'm supposed to do and it'll be something way different and life will be really magical and I'll go be amazing at that and like life will be perfect and she lived happily ever after, right? right, right. But I but I never had that. And so um, I actually came back and I felt like my world was opened and I was suddenly aware that I was capable of creating so much more of my own reality than I ever even realized. Like I think a lot of people, especially I've noticed in corporate, like you feel powerless in a way, which is crazy, but you feel like this is all that can ever really be done because this is the only way to live. Even though I do, I'm not happy, I don't have the power to change it. And I realized through my break, I have the power to change so many things, but I didn't magically get this like crystal clear answer. I definitely thought about pursuing becoming a life coach myself, but I had $42,000 at that point of student loan debt from my MBA that I still needed to pay off. And I know myself and I know that if I didn't have a job where I was making huge progress on paying that off, I was always going to worry about it. And I was going to let money make big decisions for me, like where to live and what job to take and what I do, you know, or don't do with my free time. And I wanted freedom from that. So for me, it was like, it was always a possibility that I could come back and work in corporate, but my secret hope was that I was going to save save myself from that in some way. And I didn't get all the magical answers. So when I came back, I had a really tough talk with myself and there was a lot of angry crying um, and like <laughs> complete denial. And then it was just like, okay, I'm going to get a job. It's going to pay me well, but I'm going to try to be that balance of like happier, have more purpose, find a culture that fits me, but also pays me like more of a corporate salary. And I'm just going to focus on paying off these loans the way I focused on saving money for my break. So that was your then, I guess, transition back to normal life. Like you said, all, so it all it takes is angry crying, right? That's it. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> how, how many days of angry crying are we talking here? Like one or two? Because that's doable. I mean, months it might be hard. A week. It was probably a week. So all I right. came back and I took a lot of classes at like community ed. Like I was still... I was still trying to find the thing that would save me from my corporate life in a way. And so I took a lot of community ed classes. I like, like enjoyed cooking and I was making all kinds of new things and I was going exploring and just, you know, I was taking yoga classes and doing all of these things to try to have a really exciting, fun, fulfilling life. And it was, it was amazing. But I think like it gave me time to kind of see what was really important and to realize that paying off my loans was becoming my biggest priority for me. Um, yeah. So I think in that time, like the angry crying was when I was really, really running out of money. And I was like, it's time to make money. How am I going to make money? Oh, crap. I got to go get a job. I got to get a job. So. And you and you mentioned, so you built that, that all the cooking and exploring and everything you were doing in the yoga classes, that was built into that recovery period, right? When you came back from yeah. your trip, but still had money that you didn't need to go out and yeah. get a job immediately. Yes, that was planned. So yep, I had a certain amount of money I thought it would take me to like live and be able to do the classes and things like that for a few months. And so that was intentional. And so if someone is because this is, again, this is fascinating to me, like transitioning back to a, a life that you left behind, but in a way that's much more sustainable. And, and again, because you have a purpose, it's more meaningful because your purpose is I'm going to come in, I'm going to pay all these student loans. Transitioning back, if you were to give people some advice to this, because I've never had to do this, so I, I I can't really give any advice to transitioning back to like what life was like before. What what are the things that you would recommend they do? Like what was helpful for you? What was the stuff that that allowed you to say, yes, I'm transitioning back, but I'm not going to be as bummed out about it, and it actually is an opportunity for me to do some stuff that I might not be able to do if I did just stay in Thailand or kind of live this other life? 
Yeah. So one, it goes back to like that clarity about your goal, right? Like your purpose. Like I was so clear. I'm, I'm in this to pay off my student loans. And it's not just like, okay, I'm going to pay off my student loans, but it's like, I'm paying $42,000 off as fast as I possibly can. And when I do, I'm going to feel so free and imagine being debt free. It's like all of the emotion and feeling that comes with that goal and being really clear about it. So I feel like having that like, again, it, it just makes everything better, right? Like when you're doing things for a purpose and with intention. So I was super passionate about my goal. And then I think like it was that that low key sort of time that I had to buffer myself and decompress and, and adjust my mindset, right? So it wasn't this pressure of like, I've got to get all of my together in two weeks and get my mind right. It's like, you know, I get to stick my toe back into it and do do this a little bit more slowly and a little bit more naturally. And so when I get to that place, I'm really clear on my goal and I've sort of changed my mindset to be like, okay, I'm better in touch with who I am. I know what matters to me. And like the job that I ended up getting was a job that I had wanted four years before, but it didn't exist. There was a company that ran like, they run the natural, um, the natural products exposition for like everything you would find in a Whole Foods is basically like a huge entire like conference area full of all those companies. And it was like magical candy land. And when I was working at General Mills, it was like, I asked to go and they were like, no, you can't go. We can't afford to send you like whatever. Nobody cares about natural food. And I was like, but I care. I care. Yeah. And, Amazon um, cares yeah. now too. Yeah, I know, right. Yeah. Well, everybody cares now. <laughs> right. But, right. Yeah, Four years cares. later, uh, they're not looking so <laughs> smart, right? Yeah. So I was just like, man, like it would be amazing to work for them, but they didn't have a market research group. And so Again, to your point, flash forward like four years later and all of a sudden like they're growing and everyone wants more of what they have. And there was a job that did not exist at the company that I'd asked to go to the co I mean, it was crazy. And it had just posted, I think, like two or three weeks before I actually started looking for a job. But it was being really clear on I have a huge purpose. I'm motivated by this purpose. And I'm more I'm more connected to myself and what it is that I do and don't want. And so I really didn't want to go back into corporate. But if that's what I'm going to do for this bigger goal, I'm going to go do it for a company that does really cool stuff that I'm passionate about. Right. And that's kind of that balance. So I feel like, again, that time really gave me the clarity to figure out what's important to me, what I can compromise on and what is my biggest goal right now. Yeah, that buffer time is looking sweeter and sweeter every time I hear this. So what I'm going to do is I'm not going to cut any of my uh, like time abroad. All I'm going to do is just add on time at the end, right? Like if I was going to do a two-month trip, it's still going to be two months. I'm just going to add two weeks on the end to uh, recondition myself back to regular life. How's that sound, right? I'm not going to yeah. cut any time. Just add it on. Um, just add on. <laughs> and, and, you know, a lot of people will listen to that story and they'll be like, oh, what a, what a crazy coincidence. And I we don't have to get too much into this, right? Because it, we could go off the, the rails here. But I don't really ever see that as a as a coincidence. It's more the idea that you're putting yourself in a position to be there, right? You've done the stuff, you've done the work um, to kind of figure out who you are and what would be perfect for you. And then lo and behold, this job opens up. But I think a lot of people probably would have missed it had they not taken the break and then taken the time after to really get clear on what they wanted. And so for me, I just see it as not a coincidence at all. Katrina ended up in this dream job of hers, but just as you put yourself in those positions to make it work by understanding yourself and getting really clear on what it was that you wanted. Absolutely. And I think a lot of times people, like they want something 
better than what they have, but it's like they don't want to risk anything to get it, right? It's like, I want all of that, but I want to do it in the completely safe and predictable way. And it just doesn't, sadly, it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't play out like that. And so I think for me, it's like, what are the odds that I would decide to go back and be looking really at the same exact time that they posted it? Like, it's crazy, right? And if I was working, you know, at General Mills or somewhere else and sort of doing the thing that I didn't really want to be doing anymore, I would have missed it. I wouldn't be scouring, you know, LinkedIn looking for stuff and like, and, and, and I also might not have been as appealing. Like one of the things I totally kicked at that was writing a cover letter. That's really compelling about who I am and what I'm doing. And that a huge piece of that story is like, look, there's a 20 month gap on my resume and this is all the awesome stuff I did. And this is who I am and what I'm about. And it makes you interesting. Like I would have, I would have just been a cog in the wheel, right? Like I, I spent three years at this company doing this, you know what I mean? So I feel like it all comes together to your point. Like, I don't believe that was a coincidence at all. Right. I never hope that I have to write a resume ever again or a cover letter, but I will say when I came back from doing an internship in Switzerland and then had to get a teaching job in the interim and same as your point before I was leaving to go teach in Japan, you know, I needed something to do for those six months. And I went to an interview for a teaching job and they said they had like, you know, when I first walked in, like, Hey, by the way, we have 150 candidates we're interviewing. I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, I don't know why they tell you that, whether it's to scare you or to, who knows why they tell you, but they told you. And they like looked at my resume and they're like, can you please explain what the International Baseball Federation was that you were working at for the last six months? I'm like, uh, basically, I was driving baseballs to different sites all around Europe, uh, setting this tournament. And literally the whole interview, hour long, they just asked me about my travels and what I was doing. Like, what do you mean you were driving baseballs? Why did they run out of baseballs? Well, here's why. You know, all these stories. And not once did they ask me about my teaching experience or anything like that. I walked out of the interview and five minutes later, they called me like, do you want the job? We're not going to interview anyone else if you say yes. I'm like, Sure. And all I did was tell stories. I, I didn't even like tell them what I was, how I was a good teacher in any way, shape or form. Um, it was just stories. And I think that that just made me stick out completely above in their minds yeah. anyone else. So yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. I'm with you. It's never in my, in my mind, not only is it never a bad thing to, to do something that then inherently helps you figure out who you are, but anything that's going to be different from the norm, if you do go back to regular life or, or, or a job or something like that, people are going to want to know because to your point earlier, they're excited for you, right? That's an exciting thing. They get to live vicariously through you or they're at least you know, have that sense of nostalgia, like, oh, man, I wish when I was 30 or 35, I went and did that. And here I am at 50. And I never did that. That's pretty cool that someone decides to take that leap. Yes, absolutely. And I think people are sometimes afraid to be unique, right? Like it's, it's scary to them to have a gap or it's scary to have a story that doesn't fit the textbook version of what a successful 20 months would look like. And, um, and I think that's like a loss, right? Because that is the point is that you tell your story And that is what people remember. And I know I had the exact same experience. Like half of my interviews were spent talking about like, well, where did you go? What was your favorite country? What was your favorite? You know what I mean? It's just like exactly to what what you were saying. Yeah. A perfect segue into one of the questions we have for you now that we get into the travel segment is what were some of your favorite places? Now we're going to interview you, right? Now you're sitting in an interview. You got to answer this right. Um, What were some of your favorite places on your, well, on your 20 month break or places that you've been before or after that? Yeah. So um, on my break, I saw a lot of really awesome places, but I easily have like three favorites that kind of rose to the top for me. So um, one was Buenos Aires. I just, loved it. I think it's a city that I don't know that tourists, if you go there for like five days that you would fall in love with it. But as a, 
as a person just like casually absorbing it more and more every day, it was really magical. Um, I absolutely, absolutely loved Avignon in Provence and the south of France. And I had hyped it up a lot. And I thought it can't really live up to the hype. Like I've just, I've just, and it did. Oh my gosh, it totally did. And I actually stayed there an extra week longer than I'd planned because I just fell so in love with it. Um, and then the biggest surprise for me of all is that right up there in my top three is the entire country of Vietnam. And I almost didn't go because I was like really nervous. And I was like, oh, how will it be for me there? And like, you know, I just didn't know. And I was like, I had all of these preconceived notions about, will they like me? Will they be nice to me? You know, just stuff. And um, oh my gosh, like hands down, my favorite place. It was just so, it was so amazing. The people, the food, the geography, the like scenery, the everything. It was so cheap, like everything, everything. I had everything. And no Bali on that top three. Sorry, Elizabeth Gilbert, yeah, but yeah. you did you did get her to go to Southeast Asia and take the trip anyway. So um, we'll still sure. add you to that number of people who who were inspired by her. One of the cool things, I, if people have listened to the show before, they know I love lists and they know I love people ranking them. So I'm really glad that you did it that way. And some people are like, well, there's so many places. I'll throw it out. You're like, nope, here's my top three. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> this is the one that most surprised me. This is the one that exceeded even my craziest expectations. That's perfect. Awesome. All right. So I've got a few places I got to add to my list. Buenos Aires, same as you. I've always just wanted to live there for a bit and never have. And I, I don't, again, when you were saying Where that, did I'm that like, come from? I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. It just, it looks cool in pictures. Uh, steak yeah. is good. Wine is good. I don't know. It just seems like an easy living city, you know, like a, a casual fun city. So I'll have to take you up on that and get some tips from you next time uh, before we go. You are obviously someone who's great at saving money because we've talked a lot about that and saving money while you're traveling because you were able to extend eight months out. What were some of the things that you did, some of the best tips that you have for, you know, saving money when you're traveling so that you can extend, whether it be a, a break or whether it be an indefinite travel period? Yeah. So I just have to give you props to an extra pack of peanuts in general, because, you know, I did like a lot of the stuff I learned. I learned because I totally nerded out on travel blogs and travel resources. And so your website was actually one of the ones I felt was like so helpful, especially with like packing and resources and stuff. So I like I, you know, I'm going to share stuff, but it's stuff I've accumulated through other people's awesome amounts of knowledge and, and willingness to share that. But, you know, one of the things that really helped me is making again, it goes to making choices, right? So when I was on that road trip, as an example, like there was this mental sort of like $50 mark, like it was almost like a fun game of can I find a place to stay for $50, you know, $50 a night? And the answer was usually yes. Sometimes you had to drive like five miles outside the city, but I had a car, you know what I mean? And I had an infinite amount of time. So it wasn't this huge um, loss, but I think making choices. And even when I was traveling through Southeast Asia, a lot of times, you know, I would stay in a hostel, although their hostels are quite nice. Um, I've never seen anything like that before in my life, but you know, it's still sharing a room with other people. But, but then every once in a while, it's like, if you're going to splurge, splurge. And when I was in Avignon, I actually did a mix. So I splurged my first five days there and I got this Airbnb studio that was gorgeous, like, you know, right in town. And it was really awesome. And I was able to communicate with the guy in advance. Um, and that's another benefit of last minute. If you're not in peak season, I think a lot of times people are sometimes willing to work with you, whether it's 
small hotels, Airbnb, um, and they're willing to give you a little bit of a discount because you're going to come tomorrow and no one's taking the room. Um, but then it was outside of my budget. So I did it and it was amazing. But when I decided I wanted to stay, I walked myself down the street to the hostel and I, you know, ended my last five days there. So I think making choices and, and deciding like when you do it, it's going to be amazing and awesome when you upgrade. But like life is so much more than just always having to have like a Hilton hotel room every place you go. You know, I think that was really key. And then, um, and then being flexible with time. So I was in, you know, I was in Thailand thinking, okay, well, I'm going to go to Bali. Like I got to buy my plane ticket and not having a specific day where I'm like, I want to go on Tuesday. So it's Tuesday or nothing. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, look, Thursday is a hundred dollars cheaper. I think I'm going to go on Thursday. Um, I found those two things just being flexible in that way and being like really like being choiceful about when you do splurge, like that really helped me a lot. Yeah. I love that you just have a greater appreciation when you when you are splurging then. And we do a very similar thing, you know, half the time, maybe not half the time, it, it breaks down differently on different trips. But some of the time we'll spend it in a really, really nice place. And other times we'll go for a more budget option. And then when you're in that nice place, and we like to do it, you know, especially if you only get one or two nights in a nice place, you check in like way, way early and yes. leave way, way late. So you're like, well, yeah. I paid for two nights, but I really got like basically three and a half days here. Um, yeah. So, it, but you just appreciate it. Then you're like, wow, this is pretty amazing. And I think that that it, it's nice for your budget and, and for your wallet and all that. But it's also nice because then you do appreciate it more than if you had it all the time. Awesome. Great, great tips there. Oh, man. I feel. I feel very proud that I was able to play a small part in in some of your uh, in some of your travel budgeting and things like that. What is and this is always a fun question to ask. What is one of the biggest travel mishaps that you made? Yeah. So this one was um, <laughs> this was a bad chain of events that I don't know that I could have done it differently. It's like one of those surprises you can't really avoid. But I went on a food tour while I was in Cartagena and it was amazing and it blew my mind. Um, but something happened, something went terribly wrong on my street food tour and I got the rumbles, right? Like the travel rumbles. And I was like, Hmm, this doesn't feel great, but I'm just gonna, I'm going to push it off. All good. We're fine. We're just chilling. I just won't go to the bathroom, right? Like I'll just avoid all of this. And so, um, I actually flew out like the next day to Bogota and I was staying with a coworker's family that I'd never met before. And these rumbles were getting like really bad and Bogota traffic is like, I have never seen anything like that. Like I thought Atlanta had bad traffic. Like I've never seen anything like what goes on in Bogota. And we were like, I don't even know, probably like, I don't know, 20, 30 miles from the city, but it took us two and a half hours by car to get there. And I was like suffering, right? Like I'm looking sallow and they're like, are you okay? I'm like, no, no, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Just look away. Just look away. Everything's fine. And I remember we were on our way home and we stopped at this overlook halfway through to get a break. And it was like, in that moment, I was like, guys, this stuff is, this stuff is not okay. Like I need to go home right now. So we haul, like haul ass into the car and we're like trying to get home, like at a snail's pace. And all of a sudden it was like, my stomach was like, okay, now we're going to puke. And I've never in my whole life ever not puked in a toilet or a trash can. Like I am just a very, like, I can totally puke. I can hold my puke. But this was like a moment where I couldn't hold my puke. And I started crying and I was like, I'm going to throw up. And I'm trying to say this in Spanish, right? Like I'm going to throw up, I'm going to puke. And so they handed me these like pl this plastic bag. And I was just thinking in my mind as I'm like, 
curling in, in the backseat of their car, like crammed in Bogota traffic, puking into this plastic bag. Please, God, don't let there be any holes in this bag because there's always holes in the bag. And I was so grateful there were no holes in the bag. And the poor guy was like taking my puke sack at a stoplight and running out and tossing it in the trash can on the street corner. And I was like humiliated, didn't know these people that well. They were so, so kind. But yeah, that was like one of my like lowest moments. Welcome to Bogota, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're probably like, oh, this happens to every guest we get in here. (laughs) No worries. The traffic is really bad and takes way too long to get you home to the bathroom. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, oh yeah. man, yeah, and that and what I love about the mishaps is that not only does it happen to everyone if you travel enough, but it it, it that is what travels about. I mean, maybe that's not your proudest moment, but it's a memory that you'll have, and it's one of those things that you think like, well, this is going to happen to me if I get out here enough, if I'm out of my comfort zone enough, if I'm not going to Starbucks every single day and getting that thing that I know is not going to make me sick, right? Yeah, um, yeah it, it, it's. I don't know. It just plays into all of that, and it's a funny, funny experience in hindsight. Uh, in maybe hindsight. not when it's happening, yeah, but yeah. And you survive it, right? That's the right. thing, too, is kind of like this crazy story. And in that moment, I would have given anything to not be the person in the story puking. But like, I'm fine. And I've puked in my house here in the, you know what I mean? Like, it just happens as a part of life. And I think travel is real. That's the point, too. If you go and really travel for a longer period of time, it's like real life. To me, it's still magical, but it, it's real. Like, you can't escape real, right? So Right. And things are going to happen to you. And you're going to have to deal with them, right? And you and you do realize that it's not, as you said, it's not the end of the world. You, you know, all of a sudden, these people didn't kick you out of their car and be like, all right, you're on the streets of Bogota. Yeah. Like, we're not <laughs> taking you back to our house. You're disgusting. No, it's like, it's just <laughs> is what it is. What do you have coming up in the pipeline? So what does it look like for you now, both personally, professionally, what is, are you going to be traveling more? Are you getting ready to pay off that student debt? Are you going to stay in your job? You can share as much or as little as you want, but I'm sure people now are wondering like, all right, she transitioned back into regular life. What's next? Yeah. Yeah, Travis. Good question. So because I'm a budget badass, I have totally paid off my student loans, 22 months and they were done. So February, since February, I've been debt free, which is amazing. Um, and so now for me, it's like I've gone part time in my, um, my market research career, so or my job. So I am life coaching, and I'm building that up. And so my hope is that next year, I'm just full on life coaching. And I want to help people transition into whatever it is that feels right for them, or whatever it is that comes next. And I, I want to be the catalyst that my life coach was for me um, and use my stories to like help people know it's possible, get them inspired, like have them dream big. So yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of my next, my next horizon. Nice. And I'm sure you have it all mapped out exactly like uh, <laughs> day by day, what you have to do to get to that end yep. point. Uh, we won't, we won't, we don't need all the details, but that is really awesome. And it's, it's amazing that you paid that off and that you said, Hey, I'm going to come back to this corporate job with this goal in mind. And then you did it. And then you said, okay, cool. Now I'm going to like go part-time to go after this other goal. And then when that happens, move on, move on, move on. It's very, it's very inspirational. I think, especially for someone as like uh, disorganized and maybe not as uh, systematic as you. Um, it's nice to hear that, that that's able to happen in a way that I think, uh, you know, half the people in the world are going to be more organized and systematic than me. Half are going to be less. Well, maybe not. Maybe, maybe it's skewed a little bit, but it's, it's nice to hear that 
people who are that way and and feel exactly the same way as you is like I have to have a plan. I have you know I'm going to be stressed out if I if I don't do this this and this. They can do that, and there is ways to set that up as opposed to just making that clean break and saying, yeah, I'm throwing all caution to the wind. Yeah, exactly. That is exactly right. I want people that need a plan or feel like they want some type of they want some type of safety net there. You know, like it's possible. So if you're an actuary but you want to lead <laughs> a life that's a little crazier than the actuarial life. Talk to Katrina. Um, That's right. Katrina, thanks so much for joining me today. And and yeah, just showing people that having this break is possible. It's It doesn't have to be this caution to the wind thing. It can be a planned thing. You can still come back. Obviously, then also transitioning back to regular life is possible. And, and you've done it. And you've done it very successfully. And now you've had a life that is better than it was before. And it's even, you know, and it's trending upwards to get better and better and better. Remind people one more time how they can get a hold of you. I think you even have like a, a free gift for people who are listening. If there's someone who's sitting there saying, hey, this might be me, like maybe I do need a break or a transition. Yeah, absolutely. So as Travis mentioned in the beginning, my website is kmcgeecoaching.com. But um, yeah, if you go to kmcgeecoaching.com and then um, backslash break, I have this awesome thing that I've created for people that want to, to, to even fantasize about a career break where I've sort of taken you through four of the awesome things I did. And I even show you how much it cost and what I spent and sort of what my experience was and give you nine signs that you might need a break too. So it's a really fun, easy read for people that are sort of thinking it's crazy, but they're interested and want to know more. And I'm sure it's laid out very, very nicely and very consistently. Uh, yeah, and has all the details in there. Um, awesome. Yeah, guys, we will link that in the show notes for sure. Just It's kmcgee.com slash break. We'll link it in the show notes if you want to get those show notes or any of the show notes for any of the past episodes. Remember, you can go to extrapackofpeanuts.com slash shows. Everything we talked about today will be linked up in Katrina's episode and you can find that there go check that out and yeah even if you just want to fantasize about a break if you're sitting there like ah, i don't know if it's for me grab it grab the guide i don't know maybe you'll learn some stuff about yourself in there and you'll say yeah yeah this is what i want to do so check that out um extra pack slash shows you can get the show notes there don't forget if you are traveling remember less is more folks uh if you want to travel just to carry on head on over to tortugabackpacks.com check it out you can use the promo code epop that's epop all capitalized i'll get you 10 percent off anything you order from them and Katrina, I just want to say thanks again for coming on, sharing your experience. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's very, very inspiring. And it's also very fascinating for me to have someone who's so different sometimes in mindset, but then so similar in that they want something more out of life. So it's great to hear someone from the other side give some really, really actionable and great advice. Thanks so much. Thank you, Travis. Awesome. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in today for your continued support. As always, it makes us the number one radio travel podcast on iTunes. And until next time, happy free travel. I'll show you Paris soon.